0: Hi Chris, how are you? Yeah, good evening Rod, here we go, episode 57 on the 19th of February, and I'm trying it out on a Mac this week.
1: This will be interesting, I wonder if, if any listeners are listening and think Chris sounds different. I don't think you should sound too different for the way we record it, but certainly it's a much better picture Chris, you're using that Apple Studio display I think rather than your iPad.
0: So yeah, a couple of things in. so one I'm using the same screen, the same mic, the same ethernet cable, and you're doing all the work with the audio, so there shouldn't be any difference on it other than that we are going through a mac os and through the zoom client on the mac instead of the zoom client on my ipad but should hopefully sound the same but it is certainly interesting and it's interesting you say the camera is better on this than my ipad because this is the camera that's had so much grief over it so now i have installed the latest version of stew display os which is 16.4 beta that came out just to try it so whether they've done anything with that i don't know but even the preview i think actually looks pretty good
1: yeah, I'm quite impressed, actually. I mean, the iPad was fine. I don't think there's any worse than the iPad. Maybe it's just because I'm seeing you from a, d- a different angle. I don't know. But or the lighting in your shed is good enough that uh, it looks good.
0: Yeah, I've not changed the lighting. Obviously, the camera's slightly higher than usual. And in the middle of my desk, right well, off to the side where my iPad is. So it's where that makes any odds. But I guess maybe there is some hope for the camera in this screen after all.
1: It's doing the business anyway. Good stuff. Shall we fire straight into some follow up?
0: Yeah, let's do it. So, first up, quite a few with me actually. Beep, bleep Taskmaster. I've done this piece of homework. I sat down with my children. I put it on while they weren't looking, knowing that they were going to come into the room. Because sometimes if they're in the room when you pick something, they instantly say no. But I put it on. And my youngest son, who's nine, said, oh, What's this rubbish? I don't want to watch this. But then he started getting into it because I just left it on while he was playing Lego. And then he's like, Can we watch another one? Can we watch another one? And so, actually, Bleep Taskmaster went down really well with my nine-year-old my 11-year-old and myself and actually being an adult i didn't mind missing the swear words it was fine so would definitely recommend and the kids really enjoyed the tasks you can only do it from series 11 onwards so we're just doing it with the latest series with dar o'brien which we haven't fully seen fantastic 100% would recommend
1: oh good i'm glad that you're getting the use out of it really it's it's a great show it's a shame they haven't gone back and bleeped the earlier ones actually but no that's that's good good feedback i think it was a good little recommendation
0: I always like it when there's a TV show I can watch with my children because I watch quite a lot of TV with them. So it, it is nice when this week I really want to watch and I can share it with them. So that big thumbs up here.
1: Brilliant. Second piece of homework, also you.
0: Yeah, new icons. I haven't done it because I need to do it when I'm on my iPad, but I've been trying to use my new Mac this week. It's just a piece of software is on my iPad and I haven't ponied up. I think it's like a hundred bucks to buy it for the Mac and I've got it on my iPad for a tenner. So I need to do that. So that's with me. Sorry.
1: That's okay. Are you using Affinity Designer or something for that?
0: Yeah, the Affinity stuff, which is fantastic on the iPad. Other than it doesn't do proper multi-windowing support, it runs in some funny way. But other than that, for for like £10,
1: what a piece of software. So my top tip for that would be at least twice a year, they put Affinity Designer on sale and it goes up to 50% off. So I wouldn't rush to buy it. I'd wait until it was on sale.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I was full-time making icons and graphics, I wouldn't have a problem paying full price for it but I literally just dabble with it. So for me, I don't think it's worth the full price of admission, but I would like to get it.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, it's a good piece of software. And the third one was one I put on you. Yeah, have you had a chance to try UTM instead of Parallels?
0: So I have tried UTM. So this is like a VM product that you can get on the Mac. So I installed it, I installed very easily, but it was not that easy to get Windows up and running, and I gave up. So it, it just boots up with a black screen and a cursor. I was like, I don't know what to do now. And I tried pointing at my image of Windows 11. It couldn't into want want to doing it with it and i run out of steam if i'm honest so i haven't persevered with it but i haven't bought parallels either so i do need to work on what i'm going to do because part of the reason for getting a mac is so i can play around with some vms and some different oses and i don't want to try out some linux versions so i've progressed but i don't think i've quite got the answer you want it is not as click and play as parallels which you kind of expect it's not for you know it's a free solution UTM Parallels is obviously paid for, but literally a couple of clicks, and I was installing Windows and sat in front of it. it it's very well done Parallels, to be fair to them.
1: Yeah, I used it back in the day, and they sort of the I forget what they call it. It's almost like a continuity mode where you can run win- Windows apps as if they were Mac apps. They're sort of hiding the Windows, the, the the window Chrome. They don't have to live within the the virtualization box, so to speak. And it does that quite well. I mean, one thing I would say about UTM is that you should maybe try one of the Linux images. There's like a, a browser thing you can click on to download and download the Debian one just to show how quickly you can actually be up and running with a Linux, a completely virtualized Linux in, in UTM. And the second thing I'd say is you can virtualize macOS on it, of course. So you can actually run this version, Ventura, and, and big server versions of macOS with like three clicks. And that's pretty cool as well if you do want to try things out from a previous operating system.
0: Or even a future operating system that might be good for if you want to play around with a beta. So I don't think I'm done with UTM, by the way. I think I had a little dabble. I was a bit out of steam after work one night I need to revisit it. It looks good. And I'm sure if I gave it another hour of my time, it would probably do what I wanted. But for ease of use, Parallels definitely got me there very quickly. But I, w- I will give it another spin and try it out.
1: Fair enough. I mean, they're the two big vendors there are VMware with their Fusion product and Parallels with that. And Parallels do, do tend to be a little bit quicker to market. I did find them a little aggressive. If you don't want the next year's version, they you know they start expiring things quite quickly, and this won't work and that won't work. And I I didn't really like that. It felt a bit nickel and but it, It's it's difficult to get your head above the parapet in the virtualization space.
0: Yeah, I've used VMware in. I don't know, previous life, would be 10 years ago, VMware Fusion, that is, quite enjoyed that. And they both do that thing that you've mentioned, the hybrid mode, where you can have Windows app appears like Mac apps. I don't really want that, because I'm, I'm not using it all day, every day. I'm quite happy that it's just a windowed app of Windows, if that makes sense, in in its self-contained box. So I did turn most of that off with Parallels. But I want to play with it a bit more, because I do do want to do do some ex- exploration in, into how the VMs space is working, what some different OSs are like. But yeah, I think I need to invest a bit more effort
1: Fair enough. Good. Oh, well, no, well done. You've you've certainly achieved your homework this week. I've, I've managed to escape the homework for a while, now. I'm quite pleased with this, that you're there, really.
0: Yeah, We well, maybe we need to get you used an iPad for a week or something.
1: Oh, God, no. Anyway, moving swiftly on to the news. S- slight
0: side note, I did try and enroll my Mac into work, and it wouldn't let me do it, because I thought, because you, you, you'd mentioned this, can, can you use your Mac at work? I thought, I'll try the process. I installed the company portal, went through the process, and it said, you're not running the right operating system. You can't do this.
1: Yeah, I don't want to get into a whole breakdown of corporate IT and what you let in and what you let out, really. I think if that's your company policy, then fine. That's, it's doing what it's meant to do then, isn't it? It's stopping people getting in and, and things that they're not meant to be using. So that's good. Fair enough. Yeah, with my IT
0: security hat on, I'm like, great. But with my wanting to have a play hat on, I was like, oh, I wouldn't mind to just have a little go with that. But it, it is what it is.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a massive problem. Lots of... You know, lots of industries and enterprises and things that do allow bring your own device as long as it's running a particular level of hardware or in microsoft office 365's case you know our portal lets us download the latest version and then you can put yourself on whatever track you want to be on within it and you're blessed by the official servers if you run within the organization you don't need any sort of additional two-factor authentications or anything because it recognizes the IP addresses you're on just lets you use office and mat powerpoint and outlook and all that kind of stuff if you're outside and you're working from home then you've got to use two-factor authentication and re-authenticate yourself every two weeks as that is the cycle we've got it set on it works really well it doesn't matter whether you're on windows or mac or Linux, the Linux types tend to use them in browsers more than anything else. Although I think crossover office will will work with that these days. But frankly, the browser space is is just as good. Frankly,
0: yeah, Microsoft web apps are great. Look, we we just don't let people bring more devices because we don't want the IT support headache. Basically, so it's it's done for that reason. We don't want people taking any data away with them. So it's we've got to get the limits right. I think it's a job to revisit another day. I think, but it's one I might, might review. You know, six months from now.
1: Now you're using a Mac. Things have changed a bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Moving swiftly along, let's dive into the news. So speaking of returning to the office and working from home, all this kind of stuff, this was a, a story I spotted in Fortune about a slump in productivity once workers returned to the office. And they've got a, a number of sort of data points on a graph running from 2012 up to 2022. And you can see where you know, things went wrong, sort of middle midpoint of 2020, and then there's a sort of sharp downturn, isn't there, in in labour productivity. So there's something going on there. I mean, they say the return to office looked like it's going backwards after, occup- after oc- office occupancy rose to over 50.4% in January. It dropped to 45.6% in February before recovering slightly, despite many business leaders trying to get their employees back to the office to prevent quiet quitting, a phrase I quite like. Yeah, this is interesting, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I am interested in this. I work for a company where we do on average should be two days in the office and three days from wherever you like in essence as long as you agree with your line manager and we're talking about actually inverting that and having three days in the office and two days you know generally from home i'm gonna i'm a bit mixed on it i don't think we should be five days in the office but i don't think we should be five days at home either i think hybrid is definitely the right way to go in the future but i find this interesting because with my managers out and partners like, oh, i really want to get people more people in the office. And, and get the, the you know the team gelling, the camaraderie, that kind of thing together, and want people to enjoy the culture of the business because I think that that is a real bonus where I work. But it's hard to not have the culture when you're just sat at home on a Teams call, just bouncing in and out of Teams meetings. So I I do think there's a real balance here. But I have noticed a lot of organisations increasing employees being present in the office, and so, some organisations are just trying to get people in one day a week. And nearly everybody comments on how hard it is just to get people in one day let alone go into two or three days.
1: Yeah, I mean, from personal experience, the change in mindset from I can be at home, I can put the washing on while I do X, Y, and Z, or I can wait for my delivery, or I can look after the kids for five minutes and put them on. You know, it's it's really changed the way people think about work, never mind the pandemic. They realize that they can go on and do things. I'm with you. I'm a bit torn. Having put myself back in the mindset of going into the office three days a week now, I quite like going into the office. I do find myself slightly more productive. It's odd to go in there and be one of the few people in there still, despite us trying to mandate sort of three days a week. I think there is, we haven't got the balance right. And, and you know, I think we talked about this during the, well, towards the latter part of the pandemic when we started the podcast, that it's it's a very difficult line to walk where you pay a lot of money for buildings, you pay a lot of money for electricity and heating and all the rest of it. And the thing you've touched on there is a very difficult thing to get. Team spirit, camaraderie, all that kind of stuff, and running again when you're all on Zoom call and your life, working life, is defined by I've got one hour of this and then I've got to switch tracks and I've got one hour of that and you miss the sparky bits of conversation at the beginning and the end while I've got you here, you know, five minutes to talk about something else and you sort of ricochet off and do something else. That doesn't happen with with own, at home working. Despite efforts of things like Slack with their huddles, we just leave the office running in the background all the time while you're sat at your computer. It Doesn't work. So I, I'm kind of with you. There's a balance to be found and I don't think we've got it yet.
0: Yeah, agreed, but it was an interesting article, and I, I would recommend recommend people go and read it. I just went to a conference the the week in Slough, and the host of the conference asked, would you like to do this again in person, even if it's in Slough? And we all went, yes, we would, because we got a lot out of it, even though we had to go to Slough. And there was a lot of side conversations that you just wouldn't have had on Teams of just, you know, attendees discussing what was being discussed and reviewing it, asking more questions. I think there was a lot more interaction, so I think there is a balance and I don't think the world has got to the right place yet, but hopefully we'll get there soon.
1: I'm with you. I mean, I am disturbed going to a conference in America, as we talked about in the last podcast, how bad COVID still seems to be in America with the hosts of various podcasts coming down with COVID and, and getting it really quite bad. So, you know, the slightly more laissez-faire attitude we've got in the UK at the moment, which for right or for wrong, you know, I don't. There doesn't seem to be as much COVID about I'm sure people who are working hospitals and all the rest of it and people are coming down with it all the time would say differently, but it seems an awful lot worse in the United States at the moment.
0: I agree with that. I think look, we've all know people that have had COVID in recent weeks or months, but it does it definitely doesn't seem as prevalent as what it was. And mm-hmm. I don't know why. Are we doing something right? I don't know.
1: Strange one. Anyway, interesting story, and it's worth keeping... I'm, I am interested in these stories of people we'll coming back to the workplace to try and get that balance right, as we've talked about Next story is, I wouldn't say it was throwaway. I just amused me. There's a company, a Nomad, who've launched a new watch strap for the Apple Watch. They've called it English Tan, which I joke about. is maybe what Americans think British people's teeth looks like. I'm not entirely sure. It looks okay. English Tan's an odd name for it. I mean, I remember Land Rover called one of their models, a Range Rover, Stornoway Gray. And the people in Stornoway get very upset about that. So I don't know. Maybe English people should get a bit upset. upset. Or maybe that's what we look like after the sun. I don't know. Anyway, I feel no requirements of a leather strap on my watch particularly. I don't think it's necessarily the best look these days.
0: I agree with you on the best look, and I don't know what this leather is made from because I think they've got quite good these days at manufacturing a faux leather. I would be interested in this because I quite like the look of it, but looking at the straps on it, I, I don't know if they'd be the right colour for my titanium Apple Watch. Yeah. But for me, I think it's a good way of sometimes dressing your watch up to go into the office. Um, and so I often try and do that, but then weekends or in the garden i sometimes put on a sport band so i I quite like the look of it but i would rather it not not be an actual leather and just be a faux leather
1: it is actual leather they say it's full grain sustainably sourced leather is what it is Mm. yeah 50 is what it is is. 59.95 it's a little more expensive than some of apple's watches but not their leather ones i don't actually even know if apple still make leather straps do they Cases, yeah, true. Some of the cases are leather, and and they're actual leather, aren't they? So yeah, I presume they still do use leather. May yeah, not be, I, I, I don't know. May not be a good look. For the, anyway, it's available for forty-five and forty-nine millimeters. If you like, it's quite a light leather. I, I say, looking at it. If you if you like that kind of thing, and it could make dress your watch up a little bit. The sort of gorgeous art short, uh, shot of it draped across a MacBook keyboard's interesting. They know their market, don't they? So yeah, interesting. Good price for a watch if you if you're looking for it. You know, go and get yourself your English tan strap
0: looks kind of chunky, is the only thing I'm going to say. they like, the, I don't know what you call it, the, the bits that slide into the actual watch just look kind of angular, chunky. It, it looks quite a masculine sort of band, I would suggest.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. But if they're offering it for both both watch sizes, then I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just, let's face it, it, style of straps is a very sort of personal choice, isn't it? I mean, you get the one that comes with the watch a lot of the time, but you even within that you're going to make a choice of even the the Apple Watch Ultra, whether it's the diving strap or the you know the orange mountaineering strap or whatever that is, that's right through the range. So I think if you were fashion conscious, you wanted a sport loop, you wanted something different, then you're going to pay for that. And some people will pay for the Hermes extremely expensive one, and that's definitely leather. Yeah, that is true.
0: Fair point.
1: Anyway, moving on, we do like to comment on Apple's legal troubles and some sort of business side of of what's going on in the iPhone world. And this is an interesting story, or maybe it's not so interesting or surprising in the sense that this is Gizmodo reporting that Apple are facing their fourth iPhone privacy lawsuit after the Gizmodo story when they revealed that they were doing the privacy tracking for If you switched off analytics and, and send stuff back to Apple, it was still sending stuff to Apple. So interesting that this just keeps coming back to bite them, doesn't it?
0: It's not a good look. And I meant to go back and look, but when I installed the latest betas, it said iPhone analytics and there was no opt-in or opt-out. It just said continue. And I was like, Mm. hmm, didn't sit well
1: with me. Yeah. So this is, uh, After the reveal by Gizmodo, an iPhone user filed a class action lawsuit against the company in California, then in Pennsylvania with a second class action lawsuit, then in January a New York resident with a third class action lawsuit, and now another disgruntled Californian I think is this one. So yeah, it's building up.
0: Yeah, not a good look.
1: Not at all. So if you are interested, there is a link in the show notes to the Gizmodo reporting on this, which they must feel quite proud of really that their article has sort of spurred all this on i mean it's good journalism but i'm sure they're not they weren't high in apple's favorite companies anyway after the reveal of the iphone 4 was it i think they were the company that got the iphone 4
0: yeah they got the and that was when well it looks like the current phone really but when that design was 100 brand new and, and we weren't expecting it
1: yeah it was a big deal was there i'm trying to remember the details of the story so for those that haven't been apple watchers for so long they found it in a bar uh, and then the the person who found it in the bar gave it to Gizmodo who reported on it. And there was a lot of controversy over the time of, well, that's stolen property at that point. How did it end up in the bar? Shouldn't you have given it straight back to Apple? Why did you report on it? all this kind of stuff? And I don't think they get invited to Apple events anymore, Gizmodo, as a, con- uh, as a consequence of this, like the register who are also not invited to Apple events. But in this case, it was for, you know, not returning this prototype to Apple. I wonder what happened to the engineer that lost the phone.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's going to be an awkward conversation. But they did reference it, didn't they? When they, when Steve Jobs showed off the iPhone four, he said, "I can't remember how he phrased it, but it's like you've already seen this kind of thing, and it is true." Like, you know, it's, it's something along those lines.
1: Yeah. Anyway, good reporting Gizmodo. I haven't I haven't followed them quite so much, but they do do still come out with this odd, interesting article, and it's good that they give The Verge of it a bit of competition in in that sort of way.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I again, site I haven't used very often, so I might might have to revisit it. To be fair.
1: Yeah. Speaking of The Verge, our next story is from The Verge. And this is one of the rumors of the next iPhone, the iPhone 15, that apparently all the buttons on the iPhone 15 are going to become solid state. So taptic, haptic sort of buttons rather than actual physical ones that push in on the phone. you got any thoughts on this?
0: Uh, I'm amazed they haven't done this before. I would like them to remove the silent switch off the side because my phone is always in silent mode. I don't ever want to change it. So Occasionally I catch it and it annoys me that I've turned it off and I just don't think I need it anymore. I think it was right when the phone was first introduced, but I think now you've got control sensor and people are a lot more OFA. I'm surprised I've done this before because they did a big push on haptics and taptics a long, long time ago, like with our mice, you know, our trackpads on, you know, whether it's external or built into laptops on our magic keyboards and what have you. So I'm surprised I have done it. And obviously the home button went to a taptic home button, I think with the iPhone 7, if I remember correctly, because it has got an iPhone 7? If you turn it off and you push the button, it doesn't actually push. So, yeah, that's where I'd be with it. But equally, I've never really seen anybody complain their buttons don't work on their iPhone. I mean, it's something, and I don't know how much the design has changed internally since, you know, generation one, but the iPhone volume up, down buttons, power buttons have always been very robust. So, it'd be interesting to see uh, moving to this. Is this actually going to bring in, I think, or is this? just something they can talk about what do you think
1: yeah there's a couple of things there i mean one is i quite like not although i'm with you i don't use the sort of complete mute all the sounds button or turn them all on again but i think it's quite good for a lot of people who do not everybody is an apple watch and i think people that have apple watches are more likely to leave their phones on silent all the time because you get the notifications on your wrist so that's a consideration
0: everybody should just run their phones on silent it vibrates you don't need a horrible ringtone
1: yeah, some people like it. It's not up to us to make everybody's choices for them, is it? I, I mean, I, 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 I'm with you. I don't particularly want to hear my phone ever, but I understand that there are people that do, and fine, give them the option. So I'm okay with the button. I don't mind it being there. The second thing is, if you make all the buttons solid state, that means how do you do things like do hard resets of the device and all the rest of it? That And that is a problem, I think. If you take away the you know, the, the volume up and, and the power button and the phone has crashed hard, if it's crashed so badly it won't respond to software inputs, then these kinds of things do become a problem. I think. So that- they've
0: they've got to have a route around that, though, haven't they? There's got to be something they are doing.
1: I don't. Well, I presume so. Maybe they'll just think the phone's never crashed. Surely they can't be that arrogant.
0: Maybe you have to do some devil's claw and put your hands in a certain position on the screen to force a reboot or something.
1: Maybe I guess maybe you cover all the antenna gaps.
0: <laughs> I like it. I'm I'm not a fuss by it. I you know if they're going to do it, they're going to do it, aren't they? And I'm sure they sell it to us in. In magical ways
1: yeah i mean i do agree with you and to, to your point earlier maybe there is some sort of saving on the internals of the phone of not having to allow for the buttons to press in so far maybe they can cram another one percent of battery in there or make it a little bit more waterproof I mean, that's generally the argument for these kinds of things here it's it's less points of ingress for water and dust and all that kind of stuff less moving parts in the phone it's probably cheaper for apple to manufacture like you say they did a good job on the on the trackpad back on the laptops in the day which have been haptic forever but then we've got a lot more buttons on a laptop to force them to reboot (laughs) than you would have on a phone. So I I can see the attraction of Apple doing it, but I worry that they're taking too much away. And let's face it, I don't think there's any great pressing need for them to do this. The phones are waterproof enough. You don't hear a lot of stories of people complaining that, you know, they've drowned their iPhone and being in the shower or caught in the rain or something like that. Those stories don't come up. So I think it'd be quite a tough sell in some senses to say to lose the potential functionality of giving it a reboot because occasionally you do have to particularly those of us that run betas you know that there's there's a few things to think about there but i see the attraction to apple
0: yeah but surely though the buttons and moving away from having a physical sim card they are getting to a point where you know this can be a very much a sealed unit is surely where we're going
1: well, that's exactly what they want, isn't it? I mean, they, if you think of the phones and how much everything is glued into place and the same with the laptops and everything, they want a sealed unit, which is, which is it's very much an Apple's wheelhouse to have you doing as little as possible inside of those devices. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, interesting. Although I did see that the new HomePod is more repairable than the outgoing one. There's less glue on it.
0: Yeah, well, they, they've got to do that as well. They, they're trying to save two things here, aren't they? They're trying to stop, any detritus getting inside the, the device and then they're also trying to at the same time if you do break it you can fix it yourself they're trying to hopefully get the right balance there
1: yeah Anyway, it's interesting stuff. Moving on. Our next story is about Bing. So last week we reported on a Google Bard guessing a result wrong, saying it was some it was seen by the James Webb Space Telescope. When it wasn't, it was seen by a previous telescope. And Microsoft were getting all the glory about this, but actually it turns out Bing was also factually incorrect. They claimed, let me find the right bit in the article, they claimed that Bing had a specific pet hair vacuum cleaner at a short cord length like 16 feet, despite it being a handheld machine. So again, it's also surfacing the wrong information. So neither of these chat GPT-powered AI things are giving you all the information that you'd want to get from them.
0: I'm not surprised by this. I think I said it last week. There's just so much data out there and so much misinformation that it's going to be hard to validate itself, isn't it? So this is going to keep happening, I think.
1: Well, fundamentally, the way these things work is they're predicting the word that comes next. So when you put your question in, it's, it's all the documents it's sourced to make its AI model on or based on that, the context of the question, what mod, what word comes next, you know, as a in the same way predictive text works to a certain degree with your iPhone, it's a bit cleverer than that, but it's not a surprise. There's a lot of misinformation out there, wrong information, which I think you know we and I have said on this podcast before. It, it, I'm not surprised it's going to get things wrong based on that, depending on the amount of thing. And in fact, there's been future story. There's been other stories this week about it getting quite defensive if you start to question it and getting quite racist and getting quite, you know, shirty with its users. So unfortunately, the data it's based on is from human beings, largely, and human beings are prone to prejudices and biases and just being wrong. So it's not entirely surprising that these chatbots are going a bit wrong.
0: Yeah, I don't know what to say on it because I'm not surprised. And didn't I see something where they've actually limited chatbot to come out with only is it six responses so they don't end up in a wormhole of five, you're saying? So, that feels to me like we know there's a problem here and we haven't got a good solution for it. So we're just going to, you know, kneecap it a little bit as a, maybe it's just a quick solution whilst they're trying to work through the motions.
1: Yeah, I, I, it's a space we need to keep an eye on is, is sort of my takeaway on this. I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. The worry is that they've captured the imagination of the general public. It's not just geeks playing with it anymore. There are people out there. Microsoft is going to build this into the next version of PowerPoint to suggest what you should put in your slide lots of people are going to use that not just people like you and me and i'm not all that happy about that i understand the appeal it's a market differentiator they've got good they've got good momentum out the gate certainly better than google but if it's wrong and you start putting that on slides and people don't write it well put it on the slides and other people will write it down and then we're in a world of hurt and i don't like that at all
0: yeah i'm with you here i don't know if i'm making some slides i want it to be my work not not the work of somebody else so i'm not a big fan of that to be honest and i try and shy away from those things
1: yeah so i think for the future uh, dear listeners of the podcast we'll keep an eye on this and sort of report back as it keeps building
0: okay next up search revenue then so have you read this article so apple gets a cut of search re- revenue from chrome as part of a secret deal now this is interesting because we knew google paid apple a huge amount of money, and I can't remember the number now, to make Google the default search engine on iOS and macOS. And they also pay Mozilla similar sort of, well, probably not similar money, but a chunk of money, circa $450 I was listening to on a podcast. But but now it also transpires that if you use Chrome on iOS, they're also getting a chunk of money for Apple, which is insane, isn't
1: it? It really is. I mean, as you said at the start of this, it's not that, secret a deal that there was a deal in place that that google paid apple for making google the default browser i mean they say in this that that, and i I do remember the story back from 2020 that there was there was a large amount of money they hint it's a multi-billion dollar deal every year that's a nice little chunk of change for apple
0: not that they need it but it does make them look a bit it doesn't make them look great does it given their moral values that they tell quite frequently
1: yeah, I think there's a difference between the moral values they tout and then what they actually do. I mean, sometimes they're only talking the talk; they're definitely not always walking the walk. See the privacy story we just talked about.
0: I completely agree, and it, yeah, it's not fantastic, is it? But I guess they're making the most of it while they can.
1: Yeah, how sustainable is it? I mean, again, we've said on this podcast, the reason that Steve Jobs got very upset when Android was released, he felt that, you know, they just started their photocopiers again, and they were putting out what's something that iOS already did. And very quickly, we saw Apple push into Maps, we saw them take the YouTube app off the phone, we saw, you know, there were consequences for Android coming to market. And that, that seems to be quietly swept under the table while they quite happily pocket a bunch of money from them. And they are the biggest competitor. I, I, it makes sense that they work together on some things, but this is a bit dirty, really.
0: Yeah, part, part of me thinks that's Apple, though, taking ownership of everything that's on the device, if you know what I mean. Like, this is what we ship it with. We provide all these services, which is obviously why they end up doing Maps. Obviously, they haven't got a YouTube competitor. I don't think anybody's really got a YouTube competitor, to be honest. So I can see why they did it. I've always been amazed that Apple haven't gone and bought DuckDuckGo or something and just called it Apple Search because they've got you from the point you turn on your phone all the way till you get to internet, and then they lose you. And I'm amazed they haven't gone, actually, why don't we buy the next step? You know what I mean? Especially where they're going with all their ad revenue and everything. And and we keep hearing rumours every now and again about Apple doing a search, but you'd have thought they'd have just bought one at this point
1: yeah I, I I agree with you. I was about to say there's been rumors of Apple sort of beginning to spin up a search thing and then putting it away again. It would start even more of a war. <laughs> you know they're they're competitive on the maps that well a lot of people would say they weren't competitive on the maps, but again, as we've said, a lot of people just use what comes with the phone. You know, if maps are on the phone, that's what you're going to use. Same for Google. Same for Apple. So yeah, it's it's an odd story, and there is obviously a lot more collaboration goes on in Silicon Valley than we're aware of.
0: But the other two platform vendors, Microsoft and Google, you know, they make Windows, they make Android. They've got their own search platform, so it wouldn't be unprecedented for Apple to enter the space.
1: No, that's a fair point. I mean, Microsoft do an awful lot to try and keep you in Edge browser when you install Windows. You know, it, it's why have you done this? What have you checked out the new Edge? It's the best thing since sliced bread. You know, they they do an awful lot, and with Edge as default comes Bing. So you know, I, I it's, fair enough. It's monopolist, mon, monopolistic again, but then we expect that from Microsoft. If you buy a Chromebook, I bet it's very hard to change it from anything except Google. I've never tried, but I presume it's pretty difficult.
0: Never used a Chromebook. When I was a Windows user, I was a big-age fan. I quite liked the browser. I thought they were doing a really good job with it. And I like that it would sync to your Microsoft account. And so if you encourage your corporate state to do it, you know, if you get a new corporate laptop, you just sign into everything and you sync all your data, you can get a new PC and all your stuff's just there. I think they were doing some good stuff in this space.
1: Yeah, you're a little more positive towards Microsoft than I am. I mean, it's interesting in our across our patches, and let's face it, we've got a lot of desktops in the university. You know, you've got m- tens of thousands of users in some cases making use of, of university equipment. Almost everybody will refuse us to use Edge.
0: <laughs> yeah, I and I was in the minority in, in the corporation where I work. Everybody's running Chrome. Yeah, Chrome's got the it's got the name, it's got the brand, it's got the cachet. Mm. Mm.
1: I think it's a good engine, you know, the person that uses the Arc browser almost all day, every day, and then I'll default back to Firefox, but I've never seen the attraction of using Edge, and in fact, you know, even with a fresh Windows install, which I do have from time to time at work, I'll immediately go and install Brave, or I'll go and install Firefox or something else that's not a Microsoft-based browser. A lot of that's probably a previous prejudice from being a Mac user for such a long time and observing the company for such a long time, and maybe that's not fair. If it's based on Chrome, I'm sure it's a perfectly decent browser. But yeah, it's, it's a hard one for me to swallow that.
0: Understood. Should we go on to iOS usage stats then? So this also came out. Apple weirdly released usage stats based upon whether it's an iOS device, iPhone, phone, or whether it's iPadOS, which they don't normally do, and, they, and they've broken it down a little bit. So what they're saying here is iOS devices introduced in the last four years. So what, what would that be? iPhone 11, 12, 13, and 14. 81% of them are on iOS 16, which feels weird pretty high it's not that much fragmentation 15 percent on ios 15 and four percent on anything before ios 15 so i thought that was quite impressive not not too much fragmentation and then they're saying all oh, active ios devices which they haven't really defined what that means but i'm guessing one that's powered on in the last 30 days would be my my guess 72 percent are running ios 16 20 on iOS 15 and 8% on earlier. So quite an interesting breakdown there, quite high adoption rates for the, the two latest operating systems. As soon as you're a developer, you could pretty much target the last two big OSs and you know you're covering circa 92% of all iPhone users. So interesting from a developer standpoint that you don't need to support an OS that far back and you can use the, the modern, you know, ways of doing things, whether it's an API or a look and field or a windowing solution. So I thought it was really interesting. What do you think?
1: No, I'm with you on that. It's definitely an interesting statistic how quickly people seem to move on, on iOS at least, Um to, to the latest version of the platform. I mean, that statistic of only four percent in the last four years of of, of being on an older version of the of the of iOS is phenomenal. Android would love to have that sort of turnaround. Windows would love to have that sort of turnaround on PCs. How quickly somebody would move on to that version of the operating system is is just amazing.
0: Yeah, and Mac equally, I would imagine macOS does not move that quickly. I think this will change in the future as Apple have discontinued support for the iPhone seven. I've noticed a lot of corporations with iPhone sevens, they are being discontinued. So I think that's going to drive these numbers forwards in, in significant, in significant ways because we've all, we've they've supported. I get my words out. Apologies. They've supported older hardware for longer, and I think that's held them back a little bit in that they haven't been as aggressive of moving people forwards and so big corporations like where i work we've just kept the iphone 7 estate because it's still supported whereas now that's not being supported i think that's going to like i say push the bar forward maybe that's why they've done it because they're trying to flush through the the old equipment and i'm in mean, an iphone 7 i mean that's it's not 10 years old but it's it's what um six seven eight years old maybe yeah so they're pretty good at supporting older older devices.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's definitely to their credit that they're not creating, but immediately banging them in a landfill. Like you say, I think lots of places will have standardized on, right, this is our purchase year and they're good for three years, five years, seven years, however long we can make them last for. And having them updated with the latest security patches and all the rest of it is a huge part of that for the enterprise. I don't think home users care quite so much, but let's face it, lots of home users also have iPhones. So they do update them. They have got the message and they are upgrading. It's interesting to me that the A- A- iPad has less good figures. You yeah, it I was
0: disappointed with this. So yeah, looking at the iPad, so iPads you know, introduced in the last four years, 53% are running iPad OS 16, 39% on 15 and 8% so on earlier. So more than double are running an earlier version of the OS and that's just on devices in the last four years. And then over all iPad OS devices, 50% are on the latest, so iPad OS 16, 37% on iPad OS 15, and 13% on something earlier. So a bit more fragmentation, clearly not not people moving forwards and wanting to upgrade. Is that our iPads home because there's been lots of, you know, bad stories around iPad OS 16. I actually had a scenario today, um with doing family IT support, which we make up for the main show, but turned on father in law's iPad. He was running iPad OS 14 on it. And I was like, why, why is it that? It's set to install all the latest updates. Went on, installed iPad OS 16.3, but I didn't understand why it hadn't prompted him. And the same, I thought, I'll just check his iPhone while he's here. I know I've upgraded that to 16. Checked it, it was just running 16.0. It hadn't prompted him to force him to install something, which I found odd because I thought Apple. Once you're on the major version, we're we're fairly aggressive at getting you to to take the updates, unless he's cancelled everyone. But you know, so I spent today and I've upgraded both his devices to the latest quickly. So interesting that he'd gone two years without it. And I'm normally quite good at grabbing family's devices when I'm with them and just making sure they're up to date and everything's you know backed up or they've got free space and you know all those obvious things. But I wonder whether there's a bit of that. We don't maybe the Apple have, aren't pushing as hard as they used to to get a to upgrade.
1: That's a complex thing. Like you say, most users, most uneducated users, that's maybe not the best word for it, but most people will, I don't want to do an upgrade right now. Even in the corporate spaces, you know, on our Windows desktops at work, the pop-up will come. It's going to aggressively reboot on you in the next 21 hours, 29 hours, you know, whatever that warning is, and will. And that's fine. That can be enforced by corporate policy. But most home users, iPads, phones, you know, Macs, No, I'm not doing that now, I'm in the middle of something. No, I'm not doing that now, I'm in the middle of something. And eventually it'll give up and go away. Or they'll just develop a situational blindness to the notification and ignore it and ignore it and ignore it. And to your point about iPads being different, there will be a percentage of iPads that are given non-technical users at all, older people or younger people, or people who just don't care. As long as they can fire up and get the Facebook or, or play their game or whatever. They've got absolutely no interest in updating it. I came here to play my game now. You know it, How often have you gone to your PlayStation and thought, all oh, right, I'll have a quick game or something, and I'll go, no, I'm downloading all this first, and it, it will make sure it's updated before it'll go on. Apple don't do that. Windows, to a certain extent, doesn't do that. It'll let you finish your meeting most of the time before it makes you update. So I think there's a lot of devices in that status where you, you should update me now. No, I don't have to. I'm not going to. I'm going to go and do my thing. And then every time they go to the device, that's it because it's a single purpose device and that's all they're doing it for. Not everybody cares or is aware of the security issues in the way you and I are and probably some of the listeners of this show are.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on this. And how many times do you go to a meeting and somebody turns around and says, oh, i have been forced to update my laptop. It's like you've had 24 hours notice. Why didn't you find a window to do it? But even then people just delay it and delay it. And it is so frustrating. So Yeah, we do seem to have a culture of people who don't want to update things. And I don't know what we do to turn that around because, it, yeah, I find it frustrating because I am working for an IT team that want people to have the latest and not have a fragmented user base. So it is tricky.
1: It is. Just to finish off this thought, I couldn't find the more updated figures, but I've put in the show notes Google's Android distribution share from last year. So this only covers up to Android 11. And when this was released in in 2021, only 24% of the Android estate was on Android 11. 26% was Andro- Android 10. And then these numbers don't go down all that quickly, really. You know, 18% are on 9, 9% are on 8.1, 4% are on Android 8. And then they're like that all the way back up to, there's still some people out there running Android 4.1, 0.2% of the Android population. are. That's a fragmented operating system.
0: Yeah, it's not good, is it? I mean, it's, Yes yeah, bonkers, but and Android were bad at pushing their more recent oss back to older versions of hardware whereas Apple you knew you'd probably get at least five years you know you'd get five years out of every device if you wanted to so. I'm not surprised, but very fragmented.
1: It is. It's frustrating to develop for Android. I mean, it's funny. I installed the Android developer tools last week on on my Linux distribution just to see what it is. And one of the things it gives you in the in the Android Studio is you pick what version of Android you want to develop for, and it tells you these numbers roughly: 15% of version, people are on this, 18% of people are on that. But when you look at this, these figures, it's quite stark. I'm not surprised it's a problem in the sense that. How many Android devices are there? You know, it ranges from tablet-based devices to a variety of phones, from Chinese manufacturers to American manufacturers. Android runs on televisions. Android runs on cars. Android runs on all manner of things. It's not straightforward as a Pixel phone made by the Google, the manufacturer, can keep their OSs up to date and get the latest in the same way that Apple can. There's an open-source version of Android. There's the AOSP project that where you can download open-source open versions of this. So... The manufacturer is being moved on to the next thing. They're selling you the next device. They don't care about the thing they sold six months ago, unless you're Samsung or or maybe one of the bigger ones. But a lot of the smaller Chinese manufacturers will bash one out and move on. So they get left in a state where there isn't, maybe the odd security patch, but that's it, there's no requirement to do it. And the open source community has stepped up with things like, is it Jolla or Sailfin? I think, I can't remember the name of the sort of Android distribution that does try to keep these things up to date entirely based on the open source project. But I think this is a massive problem for Android. You can't guarantee what version of the of the platform people are using.
0: Yeah, this is why we stopped supporting at work because you just weren't getting the updates for the hardware. And so we were turning over the hardware more frequently and. So, in the end, we just pulled the plug on it. Less people wanted Android and it was more fragmented. So, yeah, we stopped. Yeah. So, yeah, not surprised.
1: Fair enough. Moving on. iOS 16.4 betas are. I think there's more in your space than mine. I'll let you cover this.
0: 100%. Finally, it's come out. I was waiting ages for this one because I couldn't add new devices to my home. I had upgraded my home kit architecture into 16.2. Apple, as usual, completely silent on it. Finally, about a month later, they push out 16.4 and it's come with quite a few things, but there's still quite a few things missing. So, we do get some new emoji characters like a, a pink heart, a blue heart, a gray heart, a donkey, a moose you know, some random emoji. I'm not a big emoji person, so I'm okay with that. Safari web push notifications. I don't know if you saw this one. So, if you have a shortcut on your home screen for a Safari website, you can now get push notifications as if it's an installed app, which seems great. You know, if you've got a business system, I'm guessing this is predominantly aimed for, or an intranet or what have you, then it will push a notification to you. Because I can't imagine many people actually have shortcuts on their home screen that are just, in essence, a web app or the sweet solution, as Apple called it. I certainly have not used this in a long time.
1: So I I can jump in there and say Voxy, when I was briefly with Voxy, the MVNO, the virtual operator in the UK, they didn't have an iPhone app. They forced you to install their web app by saving it to the home screen. And if you didn't have it on your home screen, every time you launched the website, it wouldn't let you access the website until you added it. Um, Wow. Yeah, which says a lot about Vodafone. I'm not with Voxy anymore. I I hasten to add them back to to 3 with Smarty, who have an app. (laughs) So, yeah, it is a thing. And some, some less scrupulous vendors force this on you.
0: Yeah, it's not good, is it? Not good. So so that's that I I don't think I'm gonna use that overly. There's obviously some changes going into Apple Music as well. They've got some animations and various bits and bobs going in there. And they keep it does seem with Apple Music they, they keep just doing very, you know, very little tweaks just around around the periphery. They never seem to do a major boom you know, here's an updated interface, which is quite interesting, I think. And then there's also Apple Podcasts. So they've done quite a bit of work on Apple Podcasts. I don't know if you've seen this, but they've now got channels and you've got Up Next and things. And they've not only done it on the apps, but they've also got it in CarPlay as well, which I think is good. And you've got the ability to resume episodes and start saved episodes. And it it seems quite good, like they're really pushing forward the podcast piece because I I think it's been quite stagnant for a while. So it's quite healthy to see, see that that's finally moving forward. And then I uh, just a couple of other notes. You can now get Mastodon rich text previews in messages, which is obviously showing Mastodon's prevalence now. And they must have some stats on what gets shared in messages of going. Oh, look, we we don't do rich text previews for this. You know, there's clearly people doing it. And then focus modes as well. Now have the ability to turn the always on display on and off, which I think is good. Like if you've got a sleep mode or maybe you're at work and you don't want your your phone to keep popping up or if you're in a meeting
1: or what have you. Driving. Driving is probably the most useful thing for that.
0: I hadn't thought about driving because they do have a driving focus, don't they? I don't really use I don't use my phone in the car because I just use CarPlay all the time. So it just goes in my pocket. And then shortcuts now, you can do stuff with stage managing shortcuts. I must confess, I'm not a big shortcuts person. I don't know about you. I always want to play with it. And when I play with it, I get frustrated. I can't do what I want. And then I, I quit the app and go and do something else. They have, though, brought back the ability to upgrade your HomeKit architecture, which for me, I haven't been prompted to do that. I've obviously upgraded mine, but it just seems to actually work this time. So big, big thumbs up from me. Shame it's taken so long and nobody has acknowledged it. And then they've also done a thing now where if you've you can go to software update and you can pick which beta you want to install. The Apple TV kind of does this on the Apple TV. Even before now, you could go install the public beta, basically, and it would just do it. You didn't have to do anything because obviously there's no way of really installing a profile on an Apple TV quite easy. And it looks like they're bringing some of that mentality over to the iPhone. So you don't need to install the profile to then do this, which I think is quite good.
1: Now, did I read somewhere that you need to have a developer account, a paid developer account active in order to install Betas, and yet that gets linked to your developer profile, which isn't the way they used to do it. You used to just download the developer profile to the phone and off you went to the races, whereas now you actually need to link your phone to that developer account.
0: That is my understanding, but it still works because the developer account I was using was under a different email address than my main Apple ID, so I don't know if they're going to force everybody to use you know, their main Apple ID or, or how that's going to work because obviously some developers, say so if they're doing it for work, may have it linked to a work account and not their personal iOS account, if that makes sense. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that, that pans out, but it, it kind of makes sense. And wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to install a profile and you could just, just pick which which version you wanted, whether you wanted public or the developer beta or just the regular release version. Certainly other operating systems, I think, do this better in that you can just pick within the OS what, what in essence what ring you wanted, which you mentioned earlier for Windows. Mm.
1: This is interesting. If it's tied to a paid developer profile and your subscription runs out halfway through the beta process, do you stop getting betas? Yeah, there's
0: there's going to be questions here, I think.
1: Yeah. I like the last one, the one you haven't mentioned. It might be actually one of the most interesting things in this update for me. Wallet gaining package tracking as a home screen widget. That's quite nice. If DPD or whatever can just build straight into that and not need their own apps, that's probably quite good for them.
0: Yeah, I wonder how prevalent that's going to be in the UK. But yeah, curious to see what that does for me at the moment because i will use apple pay wherever i can so yeah i I think it's quite a good update it seems to bring a lot of features that we've been waiting for the two things it hasn't brought that was a little interesting i'd like to see what they do with apple classical music because they bought a service over a year ago they said it'd be out last year they've missed it they've not commented on it and there seems to be no news about when that's coming and i want to see am i going to get any carplay changes even though my car doesn't support the new fancy version of carplay but are they going to refresh the UI a bit? Because it does look a little stale now and it it could do with an update. So I'm curious to see when when that lands.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I quite like this other story about Xcode 14.3 adding app playground templates so you can start working on apps in Xcode and then move to Swift playground and on iPad. I thought that'd be right up your street.
0: Yeah, and no, in that I found... Swift Playground's on my iPad quite limited, and therefore I bought this Mac so I could just play around with full-blown Xcode. So it is interesting, but the app Playground on your iPad, that it is limited to what you can do. You can't do like the iCloud sync stuff with it, and you're just a little bit knee which is a shame, and it is frustrating that it's 18 months old and it's barely changed. They did a bit of UI refresh, but they didn't add really anything new to the functionality of it, which is disappointing because they had a whole year and they move some icons and tabs around. So I was hoping they were going to iterate on it a bit more.
1: Yeah, I haven't even tried it, to be honest. Xcode is a complicated beast. It's it's unwieldy. It's large. Getting things built is, is tri- troublesome. The thought of having to go through, I don't even know if you can. Can you do test flight via the iPad app? Yep. Wow. It's fantastic.
0: It is really good what they've done but they need to keep moving it forwards rather than just do do one and done. They need to do one and then another one and another one. It is fantastic what they've done, but it's just not enough functionality there, I think.
1: What percentage of developers don't have a Mac as well? Well,
0: you have to have a Mac, don't you,
1: really? <laughs> this is what I mean. As I've just
0: demonstrated two weeks ago by buying a Mac.
1: Yeah, it, it it just seems like it's madness to me. If you're going to make the iPad a truly first-class citizen, you need to bring all these pro apps to it, not small iterations of them, versions of them. The full-blown, full-fat apps have to be there. You have to bring Xcode, you have to bring Logic, you have to bring Final Cut Pro. All of these things need to come to the iPad as iPad apps. And if they're not going to do it, they're playing.
0: Yeah, and I'm amazed with however long into the ipad 12 years and we're still not there yet so is what it is and then the other thing that has come out with 16.4 is as i announced at the top of the show i've updated my studio display they've finally done a version of ios for my studio display i've updated it it seems exactly the same as it is before so nothing to report there
1: Fair enough. Next story, a very short one. I thought this was just an interesting observation from a post on Mastodon, about Mastodon. It's a bit meta, really, Mastodon. But it's somebody, Brian Krebs, who's a security researcher, pointing out that Mastodon is the first social network he's been on that didn't, in its first step, ask to upload your address book. And I hadn't thought about that, but that is absolutely the case. All of them, the second you install them, are like, right, give us your address book so we can find out if anybody else you know is on here, which is wrong
0: agreed and actually until I read this I was the same as you I thought oh yeah I hadn't really thought about that and I was in LinkedIn the other day and it goes do you want to connect to your accounts and see who we can you know scrape out your address book and I was like no not really I'm good thanks
1: yeah this is a it's a good thing so you know good guy mastodon here frankly this is a very simple thing you got to go off it's more work obviously that's what the bigger social networks will tell you maybe not the bigger ones the more established social networks will tell you oh how do we know who to connect you with if we don't know who you're, who's already on here You do all right you find people It suggests people you know you can look on the feed and see who else is posting things it it although i will i should also say i tried that before it was discontinued as part of the api thing i tried move to don which is the thing that would look in your twitter followers and people you followed on twitter and see if they'd come to mastodon found 76 people which i thought was really quite impressive going so i've got quite a chunk of my old twitter following followers now now in mastodon it's it's better than twitter ever was for me at this point
0: Yeah, there's a bunch of people I'm not following on Mastodon. I think I need to go back through who I had on Twitter and just go, right, who did I follow on Twitter? Are they now on Mastodon? Now the world's moved on a little bit.
1: Yeah. Good. Stay cool Mastodon. This is another story from there, Victoria Song, who has pointed out that via a Verge article, that Fitbit, which has fitness challenges, in the same way that we actually used to do back in the day on our Apple Watches, we'd get fitness challenges with each other to say, who could do the most steps in a week and all the rest of it. But I think Fitbit had its own, you know, do this, do that, try and get your heart rate, keep it here. All the various things that were generated by the Fitbit community as part of a social network for people who want to be fit. And Fitbit getting rid of it, which I just find mystifying.
0: Yeah, so I actually did get this in an email because my children have got Fitbits. They don't do these challenges because they're, they're too young for it for this but i literally just glanced at the email and i was like oh google just bought fitbit and they're just getting rid of it it just feels like they're getting absorbed into google doesn't seem very doesn't seem a great way and obviously this lady victoria in the must on thread has said it just doesn't make sense and it's a shame because one of the features of fitbit was the community and now that's just being eroded it feels like elon just bought fitbit
1: google aren't good with community are they
0: they're not good at buying stuff. They're not good at keeping stuff going. Give it a go, burn it down, move on.
1: It's no way to build an audience. And if their search business is being damaged as well, then the advertising business, which is Google, will suffer fairly quickly thereafter.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But it is a shame that you know Fitbit is a great product, very well respected. And it's just, I don't know, it feels frustrating that Google are eroding some of the good bits that, were, that existed in Fitbit and, and made it stand out from others.
1: Yeah, sad times. I think that'll do us for news.
0: Yep, I think we're done. We've got quite a lot of news, so we better whiz through some media and games.
1: Yeah, so media first. First stories from me. I thought this was quite an interesting one that there's been some to the Canadian, no, the Berlin Film Festival is the story of BlackBerry and how BlackBerry went down the tubes, really. I think this would be fascinating if they do a decent job of this.
0: Yeah, agreed. I'd love to watch this. I think this would be really good.
1: Yeah this it seems to have been quite well received Glenn Homerton's in it who's in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia he's a he's a good actor it's funny it'll be odd to see him in this kind of role but I'm really looking forward to this I think I was quite a I wouldn't call them a devotee of BlackBerry, but I thought they did interesting things. Before Apple were in space, they were certainly so responsible for sort of pushing email into your hands, their security model, that BlackBerry Messenger was huge, you know, for the people that were on it and and, and all the things it brought with it. It was an amazing service and they really, really did have the corporate space nailed down back in the day.
0: Well, they nailed it because they had the corporate space sewn up and they also got it into teenagers. Teenagers wanted BlackBerry Messenger. I remember my brother's daughter who I don't know must have been 15 at the time had a BlackBerry even when the iPhone came out wanted a BlackBerry obviously it's since gone to the iPhone but it had such a cachet of BlackBerry Messenger again with the corporates and, and and with the younger generation and surely if you've got both ends of the spectrum it's only a matter of time before you get the rest of it but however they, they managed to epically fail.
1: Yeah they really did a good job so I, I'm quite excited about this I think it's an interest. it should be an interesting documentary I hope they do it well.
0: Yeah, no, agreed. I'm looking forward to
1: it. Next one's yours.
0: Next one's me. So Blackbird, I mentioned last week, I started watching Blackbird on Apple TV+, Plus, which is a show, well, I could briefly reiterate, so a a drug dealer slash gun peddling, very rich person gets caught by the FBI, sent to prison, and then they then work with him to get them to help uncover a serial killer. They knew who the serial killer was, but they couldn't get him to admit to, to the killings or, or where the bodies were buried. And they send him into this other high security prison to get to know him and and all that, and it's a really good good six series, quite short TV series of Right My Street, but really well filmed. It starred um Taron Egerton, who was in The king's men It was fantastic. I generally quite enjoyed it. Actually, I just thought, thought it was interesting. It's all based on a real you know real true story. Just quite interestingly done. I thought it was well filmed. looked stunning. Would would recommend. And it's not a big time sink, which which I thought was good. So I watched that, and then afterwards. I thought, oh, what else is coming out on Apple TV Plus? And there's like there's a trailer for a film called The Tetris Film, all about how they managed to get Tetris, you know, commercially out. And, it you know, it was developed in Russia and that. And it looked really interesting film. But it equally stars the same guy from Blackbird, this Taron Egerton person. So I'm um, interested to see what that looks like, because I really enjoyed him in it. I like liked The King's Men. So, yeah, a film all about Tetris. I can't wait. It's right on my street.
1: Taron Egerton's Welsh so that's there's a little link there for you back to a little bit of a Welsh angle in Taron Egerton I, agree. I, d- I did not know that he, I I only really knew him from The Kingsman as well quite a good actor I didn't like the second Kingsman film quite so much but you know I've quite enjoyed when, when I've seen him in things he's quite watchable and glad he's, his career is taking off really
0: I think the second Kingsman film just went too far with CGI and stuff and the first one had some of it but nowhere near as much I just think they they just if they dialed it back a little bit it could have been very good but no i would recommend blackbird but tetris i'm really looking forward to because i did not know the history of the tetris game and really interested in the film i get some it's going to be fictionalized but obviously it's based upon real events so i'm looking forward to it
1: i'm glad it's about the creation of tetris and not about trying to make things fit into slots much as i enjoy tetris it would make the most compelling film
0: uh, agreed. But no, I'm excited by it. And like I said, I no idea had anything to do with Russia and, and all of that. So especially in the current climate, I, I think it's going to be quite interesting.
1: I did know about that. And I know, I think it was Spectrum Holobyte who made the first Apple or PC version of it, had it unlicensed <laughs> for a long time. They just saw the idea and wrote, rewrote it themselves. So I'm quite glad. I think it's Alex Navalny. Is that the, is that the creator, I think? I can't
0: remember. But potentially has been one of those games, you know, there's been multiple versions that run licensed that get taken down and what have you. So no, I'm really, I'm, I'm quite generally looking forward to it. I think it comes out in
1: March. Yeah, great. And Clarkson's Farm, you have a follow-up? And
0: I, I know we spoke about it last week, but I've watched the whole series with my children. Fantastic. I wish they did a bleak version, but simply just amazing bit of family entertainment. Generally, really enjoyed it. That's what I wanted to say.
1: Good. Fair enough. I won't reiterate my arguments from last week. I think it is important that British farmers get some sort of a look in because, uh, you know, I don't think they've got the easiest time of it.
0: I agree. But it's just so funny. Just generally funny entertainment. And, that's the bit Clarkson is good at, I think, is providing some good entertainment value. Whether you love him or hate him, it was funny. It appealed to all levels in my house. And actually, I popped around a friend's house and he was watching it because he you seen Clarkson's farm. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it too. And he equally said, fantastic bit of viewing.
1: So I've got two bits of follow-up. One is I went to the cinema today. I watched Ant-Man and the Wasp, Mania, which if is a good film if you've watched the last 26 Marvel films. You would not, you would not have a clue what was going on if you hadn't seen at least the last two Ant-Man films and possibly the Loki TV series. So it's a hell of an ask, actually, to put a film out in the cinema that you've got to have that level of knowledge about the film to get the most out of it.
0: Yeah, that does seem like commitment to the cause. I mean, I'm just looking at the poster for it on Wikipedia, and there's a lot of characters on the, on the poster. So, uh, how many Ant-Man films are there?
1: This is the third. This is the third, right? okay, cool. so, so this is the third. There's the Loki TV show, which I think was six or seven series, where all this sort of current plot start from. So the big bad in, in the next series, if you've watched any of Marvel Cinematic Universe, you knew the big bad was Thanos in the first couple of phases. He was the bad guy who snapped his fingers and removed half the population. The next big bad is Kang the Conqueror. Kang the Conqueror was introduced in the Loki TV show, and this is the first film he's actually been in any depth. Wow. Yeah, I've been there. I've watched all of it. Some of it, I wish I hadn't watched, but I have seen it all. It's just too
0: much of a commitment, isn't it? Like if you've missed a bit and got behind, it's hard to catch back up
1: again. I think. Well, you've got your six ninety nine a month Disney Disney subs. You can crack on and you can you can watch it all. I mean, there's a huge amount of entertainment there.
0: There is some stuff on Disney Plus. Fair play. They've, they've got a really good selection, not just Marvel, but everything. I think it is, it's good, but it's a big time sink.
1: It very much is. And then speaking of big time sinks, Star Trek Picard, the third season of that was made live on Amazon Prime two days ago at this point. The first two seasons of Star Trek Picard I think I've talked about on this show before. If you're ever a fan of The Next Generation, Picard was the captain of the Starship Enterprise D. He finally got his own spin-off show 25 years after The Next Generation ended, something like that. I think they, they, they went ahead with that, so Sir Patrick got another got to ride again, so to speak. The first two seasons were kind of disappointing. The, the odd good moment, but they were pretty disappointing. This one is more like, I think, what we were all expecting from Star Trek Picard. They're getting the old crew back together. There's Dr. Crusher and there's Will Riker and all these people are popping up in it. And it's a good, solid start. I can't believe the effects you get on television these days. Having just been to see Ant-Man and the Wasp and the amount of... The millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that are on the screen there. It's amazing what they can get away with in a TV show these days. They just look so good.
0: I think there is a very high bar, isn't there, for any show?
1: Very much so. It was impressive anyway. So I'm I'm eagerly looking forward to the second episode of the season. Cool. That's it for uh, media, I think.
0: I always feel Star Trek is something I should have watched and got into, but it's just passed me by, by the way.
1: No, that's fair enough. Now, I've got, moving on to games, I've got a bit of a revelation I've only played a little bit of Marvel Midnight Suns, and I haven't actually played anything else this week. How about you?
0: I'm sadly in a similar boat to yourself. I've barely done anything, so I'm nothing to report on the game front.
1: So I thought instead we could talk about this 9to5Mac article about Apple holding a press event. They had an event this week showing off its latest advances in gaming. Did you see this? I was aware of this, but I thought
0: this was a bit odd. So something's got to be... They've got to be sowing some seeds here, haven't they? Because they had a bit of this at WWDC where they... Showed uh, Village, which is a Resident Evil game running amazingly on the Mac, and it is meant to be stupendous on the M1s. But they seem to be just dropping some seeds in. So, I, do you think it's all part of the VR play of just let's start getting the gamers, you know, aware of us, make some noise?
1: What, what was your take? I really don't know what to think about this. I mean, every so often, Apple do something in the gaming space. There was a couple of them. They'll, they'll get you know a developer of the of the month flavor of the month on board. They'll show some amazing game. It was a Star Wars game at one point to show. I think it was in the Mac Pro came out. that were shown off. Macs can do VR stuff too. Look at this Star Wars game that's that's being developed. Or they'll do the AR thing. Here's a tabletop. We've got these amazing graphics going on. Or you know we can do X, y, or Z. And then they never follow through, and the games go away. And you know there's no backup to what's going on. Apple drop the ball continuously when it comes to gaming so you see these initiatives where they go yep it's great we've got it sorted we're really going to support developers and all the rest of it and then they go to nothing so this is different though to do it slightly behind closed doors they're not doing it in the middle of wwdc they're not doing it in you know an iphone rollout or something like that just to show off the camera just show off the amazing graphics they've got this time around they're actually getting people in a room to talk about the games the games they're talking about and there is a little list call of duty Warzone mobile honkai star rail Lego, Star Wars, Castaways, Run Legends in the Medium, as well as other things like you're talking about there. Mostly Apple Arcade games with a couple of big tentpoles, like Call of Duty, that have come along as part of this. So it's interesting. I wouldn't hold my breath for this being the transformation of gaming on the Mac.
0: Agreed, but are they sowing some seeds? That is where I'm at with it. It feels like You know, they've, they've got something coming and they're trying to just generate, Look, don't forget us, we've got the tools, we've got the performance. I just, I don't know. I just wonder if there's something coming.
1: I'd like to believe so. I mean, when they were launched the M1 chips, they were pointing out all the GPU cores were almost as good as a, an NVIDIA 30 series card of some sort, 3000 series card of some sort, which everybody went, no, it's not. You know, it, it, it may be able to do desktop graphics at 60 frames per second or something like that, but there's no way you're going to start putting, pushing pixels around like, you know, a, one of the current high-end video cards are. If high-end video cards start at 1,000 pounds, you know, if you're buying a computer for a thousand pounds, there's no way the GPU, no matter how good they are, or as good as a dedicated graphics card, for lots of reasons. But having said all that, you can do some fairly impressive things on them without them breaking too much of a sweat. And games such as, I don't know, Pick One, Civilization or something like that, that doesn't require huge amounts of demanding things, or even a, a Fortnite, not that they'll ever be allowed back on an Apple platform without any sort of legal injunction or anything, should be possible on a lower-end Apple chip. So it would be a great platform to do it. You buy quite an expensive computer. If somebody does want to kick back and play a game a little bit, that would be great. I don't think there's been a huge amount of Apple Arcade stuff that's very popular on the Mac. I'm sure it's great on on iOS and you and I have commented on games we've liked on Apple Arcade. But uh, I think they've got a way to go. I'd
0: agree. I don't know if you've been to a a shop lately and played on a Mac. It is quite interesting. We were in John Lewis the other week and I said to my kids, oh look, why don't you just go and have a go on the Mac? And there's an Apple Arcade folder in the dock and they've got a bunch of pre-installed Apple Arcade games there. So I do think they are I think they are trying to turn some dials in the background and slowly generate some some noise.
1: I hope so. So again, we'll watch this space. So if we haven't done any gaming, and that's the only game we've got to talk about, that'll be the shortest gaming section we've ever had, we can move on to the main show.
0: Yeah, sorry. I just, I don't know why the weeks are going, but we, we recorded literally several days ago, and I've not touched one game in that time. I, I think I've even turned on my PlayStation.
1: It's fine. It happens from time to time. you know. It depends on downtime. It's such a complicated thing. And you think, we've just talked about all the media stuff that we've been doing as well. It's amazing we get as much in as we do some weeks.
0: And I've read quite a lot of pages in books and stuff, which I, I am enjoying and reading a lot lately, which is something we don't cover, cover in this
1: podcast. What if We're going to have to have a book of the week, app of the week, game of the week. I don't know. It could go crazy.
0: That's why I went for thing of the week, so every now and again I could drop a book in.
1: Fair enough. Main show. I've got a little bit of feedback. I think I said in the podcast last week that I'd ordered the Belkin MagSafe mount for displays. I think the official title is Belkin iPhone Mount MagSafe Compatible for Mac Desktops. It's the actual very unwieldy title of the thing. So now I have the laptop one and I have the desktop one. The laptop one I've talked about before is not the most useful thing in the world in some senses. It's got it connects with magnets on the back of your phone, it'll give you. I forget what these are called, but you can put your fing- finger through the hole in the back, and it will give you a, an extra bit of leverage to use the phone. A pop socket—that's the very thing—and it will also give you a bit of a way of leaning the phone down, so you can. Is put- that
0: any good? That, that as a stand? Because that's a problem I often have with my iPhone. Is I'm just doing a quick meeting. I just want to prop, literally, just prop my phone up, and they're quite hard to prop up. So. Would it, do you think it's good for that?
1: Yeah, it works quite well with that. The magnet's quite strong. You've got It takes a bit of an effort to get it off. And in fact, I've been balancing it precariously on top of my display using this laptop one. And this is just the pop socket part of it, not the bit that actually is meant to connect to the display, which is it's got a second shelf that folds out that goes onto your laptop. The other way up. Okay, yeah. Okay. So this is literally designed for that. It's meant to give you that that sort of shelf so you can turn your, you can mount your, it works fine for that. So this is okay. I'm going to sling this in my bag now that I don't need it, now that I've got the display one. The display was $39.95 for this particular mount. It's very different in construction from, from the laptop one. It folds down behind your screen. It doesn't just work on Mac monitors. I've got it on my Philips widescreen monitor here, and it's, it's very secure on the back. It gives you a magnet, circular magnet, in the, in the same way that all MagSafe things are up at the top. Your phone mounts to the back of that, and then it points at you. I'm talking to you now with it now, Chris. In case you hadn't realised, I'm no longer in the stupid studio. What what's the the camera mode? Where it zooms in on your face and tracks you around the room. Center stage. Center stage. I've switched that off because it's terrible. It's terrible. Now I've just got one static picture all the time. Yeah, well done. Chris is moving around the room and this camera's following him. What a trick. But, you know, you can actually have a much better looking picture if you don't have it tracking you around the room. I've had people comment on this. But it also has almost, it's not a zoom, but you can actually mount it. It pivots on the bracket as well. So you can bring the camera closer to you to the front of the screen or push it back further away, depending on the thickness of your screen. So the bracket is such that you can mount it on any part of the, of the display and then move back and forth. It's very good. The problem with all of these things is it's all very well making them mag safe, but why don't they make them mag safe and charge? Because if you've got your phone stuck to the top of your screen, I've now got a wire running into the, the Thunderbolt socket on my lightning socket on my phone, so it charges at the same time. Doesn't use a lot of battery, but Your phone's going to be up there all day when you're using these things. It'd be quite a good idea if they made them charge as well. But I'm not complaining. It is quite an expensive solution for something that you could just get, I don't know, a Joby mount or something like that to wang on the side of your monitor. But quite like it so far. That's my review.
0: Quite like it so far, Done. It seems right. It's not beautiful. I always think when they're showing it with the studio display, why don't they just have this built into the studio display? You know, you could just push down the top of it and have a little thing pop up and stick your phone on it if, if they're going to go down this avenue. Or they could just ship a good camera in the studio display. Problem solved.
1: That would be the preferable option. I mean, the camera they've wanged in there is not a great one. I mean, it's as I say, I think it's better than the one on your iPad, as I said at the top of the show. But yeah, it's not it's not ideal. When you think of the quality of cameras, so my iPhone iPhone 13 Pro is now, Pro Max is looking at me now. So you've actually got a half decent view, allowing for the compression that your video conferencing client allows for you. So whatever zoom is doing to the signal when it comes out, I've ticked the little box, CHT because I like to look beautiful when I'm on the camera, you know, but that's as much of a factor as anything else. So it's it's good to have the functionality, i got to say. It's about time, Apple.
0: Your picture looks very good. I've got you and me side by side. Mine's obviously local, and I look a lot pixelier. Pixelier, the the lighting's not as good, even though I'm in a white room with spotlights. Yeah, yours looks very crisp.
1: Thank you very much. I'll turn center stage on just for a comparison. Try that now.
0: Mm, It's not as crisp. Yeah. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen, though. Fascinating. I just tick tick the HD box. I don't know if that's been. I just look darker now.
1: That's fascinating radio for everybody there. Anyway, so that's my review of the the mount and a brief one of, of Chris's studio display as well.
0: Yep, done. so i've just got two points for the main show that i thought thought we could cover off which i thought might be interesting to people so first one was it support for family members which is a topic we all hate i think I've, i hate doing it support for anybody if i'm honest and occasionally I get roped into friends as well as family i try and avoid it a little bit so today though uh, so my family came over they brought an ipad a mac some iPhones, I thought, you know what, while they're here, I'll quickly check them as we just talk about the top of the show. And I found it really odd that none of the devices had really progressed on. They hadn't forced new updates onto the owners. Whereas I normally find Apple quite aggressive at forcing people to install updates, but we had an iPhone on 16.0 that just and not asked for any updates and an iPad on version 14.7 I think it was and I'm amazed that in two years the iPad's not gone hey update me update me so I'm really surprised by that now whether Apple do anything different on the iPads that don't push people forward so much but I just found that really interesting that they weren't kept up to date when all the options are ticked to go install everything you know keep keep this device up together So I've done all that today, but I just thought that was interesting. So, yeah, my my IT support normally revolves around make sure everybody's patched, make sure all the apps are updated. I often just open up the App Store, refresh, you know, make sure, click update all. Because it's just amazing that people don't install any of this stuff or they have loads of red badges. I opened as family member's iPad and he had had a three next to system settings or settings, as it's called, on the iPad. I was like, have you got three on there? One was, can you log into your Apple account to you know, except from T's and C's. One was you've nearly run out of space and the other one was you're running a really old version of the OS. That would drive me mad if I had a red badge but I don't think people have the red badge phobia that I've got.
1: Well, I've got that red badge thing as well. Look at my daughter's email, Apple Mail and it's like 1500 red emails and it, it drives me wild. I can't cope with it. I've got thoughts yeah. about the upgrade thing. You and I aggressively seek out the latest version of the operating system. Refresh, refresh, refresh. We're there on the sites. We get notifications to say that it's come out. You're installing betas, even out of beta season, which I think is pure madness. But, you know, we'll we'll gloss over that for a minute. You got your studio display updated. When a major version comes out, I don't think people go looking for it. They look for the minor versions and they might have the updates installed for the security updates and stuff like that. But often the major versions are extra buttons at the bottom, you know, uh, 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 sort of pasted across the bottom of the iPhone as opposed to being at the top. I think it's a little bit hidden from people. They're not, their habit is just, oh yeah, upgrade that. They don't look for the iOS 14 is now available. iOS 15 is now available. So they, they just sort of sit there. They're not getting pushed to them in the same way they are for the minor updates.
0: Uh, i half agree with you i think you're right to begin with but sitting on this ipad that was running ios 14 it, it then reaches the point where you don't get the little button at the bottom it's just in the normal update piece and you just just click update but it doesn't tell you what version you're currently running so when i realized you had a big update to do i was like "Well, what version are we on so i go and look at that and it's like oh well with we two major versions out of date but no i just thought it was odd that apple weren't as aggressive as i thought and then i looked at another family member's phone and they've got an iphone 7 i was like oh there's nothing we can do with that and that was as up to date as that phone's going to be but in my mind i'm trying to think how do i start flushing these iphone 7s out of the family pool of iphones so and it's hard to get them to spend a few hundred pounds as we talked about in a previous show to get a more current device with a better camera because they all use the cameras but that that was interesting and then the other bit i do do for for some people in my family is when they bring their Macs over, I back it up onto my time machine box so I've got an off-site copy of all their data should their Mac ever die. And this Mac we were using today was about 10 years old, we worked out. And I keep trying to encourage, you know, why why don't you get a new one? And And he even said, oh, maybe I need to get a new iPad. And I was like, no, that's fine. That runs the latest OS. You really need to do something with the Mac because it hasn't been updated in about five years it's still got the messages icon it's still the the old blue speech bubble icon if you remember that i was like you probably would get so much more out of your mac if you got a new one because it's so slow the wi-fi slow on it i have to put it on the ethernet to do the time machine backup because the ethernet protocol on it must be n i'm guessing but it's so so slow yeah very interesting though but do you know what everything kind of worked on it messages does work on it photos works on it and it all works with iCloud photo like surely at some point apple have got to go we can't use these legacy systems anymore and that will drive updates again but they haven't done it they've done a bit of a microsoft move and i'm quite impressed that the thing still works it's not getting security updates but it does seem to just work
1: well that is what it says in the 10 or used to say in the 10 i, I suspect there'll be a big rush of them not working because all those butterfly keyboard models that are out there that will just break and will be out of support and people will get frustrated with there'll be a lot of landfill from those devices don't
0: disagree with that but this this person in particular is going to skip the whole butterfly generation because this this machine obviously predates it but it was just super interesting to me i haven't used a mac that old for a while it still looked pretty good there's some nice bits in there but it's it's just so out of date, but yeah, everything kind of worked on it. It would drive me mad because I I know I'd want the latest, but it's a hard sell to try and get him to upgrade it. He uses it a huge amount. And, you know, to swap it out, it's going to be, say, fifteen, sixteen hundred pounds £1,600. But it's hard with the older generation, I think, to get them to spend money on tech, even though they use it all the time. But they've come from an era where you don't spend money on that sort of thing.
1: No, you buy it once and it's done, isn't it? You think that, but there sounds like a perfect candidate for an M2 MacBook Air.
0: That would be 100% up his street, an M2 MacBook Air. He needs a reasonable-sized hard drive to put his photos on it. That's something he does a lot of. When he uses pages and numbers, you know, I've got him on all the free legitimate software. So it would be a very easy swap out, but it's probably more needing to pick up a refurb M2 at some point with a reasonably-sized hard drive because the model he's got, I swapped the hard drive on it years ago to a one-terabyte one, and it was relatively cheap. So, yeah, it's something I'm keeping my eye on, I think.
1: I would like to push him you're gonna end up you're gonna end up putting a linux on it if it gets that old because otherwise you know he's not gonna be able to connect to anything
0: it's so old it's even got a built-in dvd drive
1: i don't know what to say about that
0: me neither he really wanted a dvd drive when he bought it and i said no you sure because you could have got the retina one at the time and in hindsight i was right he said i've never used that dvd drive you were right (sighs) what's a dvd yeah, quite. Digital <laughs> digital versatile disk.
1: <laughs> yeah, I met lots of people thought it was video disk. I, I think I won a pub quiz once because I knew it was digital versatile disk.
0: Anyway, so that, that was my family IT support, but I just thought it was interesting to share. Of That's kind of the limits I do, and I try and avoid anything to do with Windows because I just don't use Windows. I barely use a Mac at this point, so I've struggled a little bit with the Mac stuff. Obviously, as we've discussed, I'm slowly... Tease my way back into it. But, yeah, it's super interesting to have a play on a very old version of Mac
1: OS. I don't think I told this story last week. I had to do some family IT support last week and my mother-in-law's, she's got a 24-inch M1 iMac, which is a, it's a nice, it's a really nice computer, I gotta say. They knocked out of the park for that piece of hardware. But somebody had bought her a new printer because they didn't know how to clear a paper jam out of the other printer. I didn't happen to be there. Don't get me started. But this This is this is life and family IT support, isn't it? But. They wanted to install the drivers, they didn't really know what they were doing. I do think Apple makes this quite difficult and Hewlett-Packard don't help, but through messages on her Mac I was able to connect, screen share, see what exactly was going on, fix the problem and move on. And that is a wonderful tech support experience because when you can't see what they're talking about, you don't necessarily know that an older member of the family is doing with a mouse or what they're looking at, what do you see on your screen right now, all that kind of stuff. To be actually just able to drive to give you permission to get in and do stuff is a hugely impressive thing.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I think IT support is so much easier if you can see the device. I've been using TeamViewer for this because it works on my iPad. I've installed it on, on say, say my parents' computer and I just get them to call out a code. I type that in and then I have to put in a password and we're off to the races. And that's a free one that TeamView do for non-commercial use. So that's great for fixing windows. But to be fair to Apple, I think it's not that well known that you can do it with the messages. But as soon as you can see the other screen, it makes life so much easier, doesn't it?
1: Definitely. Good stuff. Okay. I think that'll do us for our family IT support stories. You got some feedback on one week of Mac ownership?
0: Yeah, so... I- I'm obviously not using my mac for work so i'm still using my ipad you know eight, eight to six every day and sometimes more than that but i have started using the mac a little bit more since i bought it so a couple of things i noticed one i thought oh i installed iStat menus haven't used that in a while found my old product key still on the same version of the one i had before so i was pretty happy with that and i just installed it because it's nicer to see up in the in the menu bar how, how much process you're using ram cpu etc and what a good app that is but but amazed my license to worked I fired up Apple Music, brackets, iTunes. The iPad client is so much better than the Mac one. It's rubbish. It's just iTunes messed around a little bit. Why haven't they done a proper native app for that? That's like their, you know, flagship service that they launched. And yet, it just needs a good app. It's kind of the same with the Apple TV app on the Mac. So those two are a bit disappointing for me, if I'm honest. One thing I do like is when you install something, I don't know when this changed, but you run and install, you download like with Zoom today. Once you finish installing, it goes, shall I move all this to the bin? And it ejects the, the virtual disk and puts it all in the bin. That is a great quality of life improvement because how many Macs have you and I fixed over the years where people have just got, disc images mounted that they don't need and random downloads. So I thought that was good. What's next? So steward Display. So I've just plugged my steward Display in for the first time today to it, really. I did the firmware update for the Studio Display. It made no it made no noticeable difference, which is odd because it's a screen. But you know what? It's great. And you can obviously have the more, more information set, and I think they call it, where you can fit more windows on the screen. It runs at a higher res. That's fantastic. You can get so many pixels on this screen. And what a screen. So I so was really impressed with that. And I do like clamshell mode. I would love my iPad to be able to do clamshell mode on this studio display, and just have the camera at the top. Fantastic! I want that on my iPad, please. Big fan of clamshell mode. I never liked having screens where you've got two different resolutions. I just think think it's messy. So really enjoying that. I'm finding windowing interesting on it in that I've got used to Stage Manager on my iPad now and and the quirks of it. And I've got yeah, you I'm know, playing with the Mac. i Stage Manager on on the Mac. I think what I've realized is the bit I love on the Mac is I go down to the dock, I launch an icon, and unlike the iPad, it doesn't just give me a brand new space with just that app on it. It just opens that app on top of all my other apps, and it's all in one space. Why doesn't the iPad do that? If they did that for stage manager, I think it would have been a thousand times better experience. It just opens the app in the stage that you're currently on, or maybe have a way of making, you know, if you hold a key, if you want it to go off into a new stage. That's the big cock up on the iPad, I think, and because it, it's hard to sometimes force it to get it into the stage where you want. Whereas on the Mac, that's the default behaviour, and for some reason they've sought to undo that on the iPad. But no, generally quite enjoying it. But I do feel like I've lost all my knowledge on a Mac, so I'm just slowly getting back into it, remembering the, the various keys and how it, and the nuances of how it works. Because I've, I've had at least three years of using an iPad full time every day.
1: No, that's good. It's all good stuff. I agree with you. That I think they have made some decent quality of life improvements with things like installing apps and all the rest of it. I'd say you should put Raycast on rather than keep using Spotlight. Would be my my other little thing for you to try. I think you'd quite enjoy that.
0: I think I do need to go back to your apps of the weeks and have a look. And I also want to have a go at Air Buddy, which is written by Guy Rambo. I probably got his name wrong, but it was a great app, and I love listening to his podcast Stack Trace. I thought actually I should should go and buy his app. Is I don't think it's that expensive, but just to try it out because. It was always an app that just wasn't in my wheelhouse. And there's probably lots of little things like that i probably quite enjoy. So there's a few things I need to go and
1: play with, I think. Fair enough. No, that's good. I think we should revisit next week to see how it goes. Maybe at some point you will convince me to try and use an iPad for a couple of days. There's lots of my work I just would not be able to do with an iPad for it.
0: And I always say to people when they ask me, use an iPad for your job. And I'm like, yeah, but I do say it's not for everybody. I've got a job that is very much Teams, Outlook and all the Office suite and obviously a web browser and it works really well on the ipad the bit i do like on the ipad that i don't think you got on other platforms is i can just get on the train open my ipad and continue working like i'm in the office or like i was at the kitchen counter that bit's fantastic because it's got the cellular piece built in and i do think apple should have done it on the mac by now I, i find that odd but that is one thing i do like with it i take the ipad everywhere and it's my one work device and i just open the lid and i just Carry on where I left off because that's what I do. So, so I do think that is a a big plus point for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, with the exception of the cellular piece, I'd say the same about my laptop. I, you know, I leave work, I leave the house in the morning, I stick it in a bag, stick it up, open up, connects to the Wi-Fi, working off, I go. I'm exactly where I was, for, where I picked up. But I use, I will hotspot my phone when I'm on trains and things like that. Max do. Now give that appearance of being on all the time in the same way that iPads did. So that advantage iPads had of, you know, you just tap the screen and boom, you're, up, you're off to the races again. I don't think it's such a big deal anymore. You know, open up your Mac, it's there, you put your fingerprint on the fingerprint sensor and you're off your writing. It would be better if they were permanently connected. No argument. I can't believe they haven't given us. I think it's a differentiator at this point between the iPad and the Mac, actually. This is more of a phone-based thing and this isn't. But there's no good reason not to. Lots of Windows laptops have got cellular stuff built into them. We know that the networking stack is there on Macs to support all this stuff because you can put it in reduced mode when it's connected to your phone so it won't pull down terabytes of software updates and all the rest of it. So it's pretty inexcusable it's not there. In these days of eSIMs and things particularly... So uh, I was
0: just about to say that, sure, if they did it, eSIM only, job done. Just feels a bit backwards. Maybe I'm more I'm probably thinking of my time as Windows because every time I had a Windows laptop, I would shut it down every night and boot it back up again because I just didn't trust it to resume the next day. But th- that's the one killer feature for me on the iPad is, is the se- cellular piece. I do agree with you. I think the way Apple have done, you know, you click on the Wi-Fi thing, you just click on your iPhone, it just magically works. They've done a lot of good work there, to be fair.
1: Yeah, it must be five days since I a software update because my my Mac's been on for five days, twelve hours, forty-seven minutes. <laughs> you no, know? so you know this is the way these things happen, I guess.
0: I can't even remember what that command is.
1: It's go into terminal and type uptime. I told you I'm losing my skills. So you do a command space to bring up a spotlight window, and then you type start typing terminal T E R, and then you type uptime. And I'll
0: one one day. Oh, because I must have installed the beta. You
1: installed the beta so you could update your monitor. Yeah, that's why you got one day. But I have seen 15, 16, 20, 35 days easily for my Mac laptop to be on, which is not a thing you'd have countenanced back in the day. Do you remember talking with whimsy and Apple when you used to shut an iBook or a PowerBook or something like that? They'd pulse when they were asleep. You'd get that little white pulsing light to say they were asleep.
0: Did I mention that MacBook I was fixing for a family member earlier? It's got the pulsy light on it. Also on the side of the case, I don't know if you remember this, had a button that you pushed, and it told you how much battery power there, there is in the device. Yeah. So um, proper old school.
1: That is old school. Right, we're going along, so we'll crack on, and I'll tell you about my app of the week. It's a GitHub thing, so not for everybody this one, but if you ever really, really wanted to be able to run DOS, a version of DOS on your iPad, now you can. See, I can do iPads as well, Chris. So you go to GitHub, you need Xcode for this, you can build it, you can install it, you'll need to reinstall it every two weeks, I think is the current thing. But with this, you could go and install any old school DOS games, you could install Windows 3.1 if you really wanted to, you could have a proper play and have a fiddle with this. So if if you've ever had a desire to go and run Civilization 2 or one of those games from back in the day on your iPad, now you can in an open source project. So I thought that'd be interesting for the geekier members of the audience and who knows, maybe Chris will have something to play with when he goes on holiday.
0: I like the sound of it, but it sounds like more work that I'd be willing to put into to get maybe Civ 2 running on it.
1: I don't think it's I that lo-
0: bad. I love Civ 2, by the way.
1: That's why I said Civ 2.
0: I remember buying it. It came in a really big box, it massive was a manual.
1: Eight, oh. And three, two or three floppies, I forget how many, but it wasn't many. I, I think mine was CD. Yeah, I'm older than you. <laughs> so that's my app of the week. Have you got a thing of the week this week?
0: I've got a thing of the week, and I was thinking about this, and... I went with Upgrade Podcast because I listen to Upgrade Podcast every week religiously. I've been there more or less since day one, but I really enjoy it, actually. I quite like the nuance of it. I think Jason Snow, the co-host of it, he's fantastic. And he was doing a skit this, a piece this week about the iPad, which you also mentioned to me, if you agree with him. I thought, you know what? I think he's my thing of the week. I listen to it every week. I really enjoy it when it comes out. I often drive somewhere on a tuesday so it comes out monday night and i listen to it on my drive on a tuesday when i go to the office yeah just really enjoyed it good good topical apple podcast and, and would recommend it's got somebody from america on it and the other host is from the uk so it's it's a good mix of you know the view from both sides of the ocean so yeah would recommend and i enjoy i've enjoyed it for the last five years i think
1: i'd endorse that i, I thoroughly enjoy upgrade i think jason's got some really clever things to say he was an ex-editor of MacWorld magazine he's been in the space for a long time he's very acute makes good customer focused recommendations and is happy to take the company to task maybe not quite as as brutally as we do from time to time but he's he's not doesn't hold back really when he thinks there's something that they're doing wrong and mike who's went on with him is also an excellent host
0: no agreed and i I like jason i think because he won't always recommend people get the most expensive thing he's very pragmatic about what you should and shouldn't upgrade or buy or do
1: and I i think that's quite good yeah with you i think we can call that a show i think we've done it
0: so if anybody wants to get in contact do drop us an email at wake at protonmail.com and we're both on mastodon rod so that's at g5 maniac at mastodon.scott and i am at underscore cjp at mastodon.social look forward to hearing from everybody and i'll see you again next week
1: talk to you next week chris have a good holiday cheers rob